I consider it a privilege to have two weeks in a row where we can get to know a missionary um, in another part of the world that's going out. I want to repeat the same scripture that I used last week, which seems that we use it each time that we are in this uh, uh, position here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And it's my uh, privilege to introduce to you Joseph Salibi, if you'll come on up and bring your family here too, because I am not going to remember all their names and you can introduce them and you know, whatever you want to do there. Oh, you don't remember them either, huh? Except for Layla. I know Layla. Yeah. Gospel, and they provide translators. And every time I went on these trips, I believe the Lord 
just kept putting a special place in my heart for these people. And I went to Nicaragua, and I went to Costa Rica, and I went to El Salvador, and I went to Guatemala multiple times, and I began to uh, be endeared to the people. And the Word of God just continued to bear down on me, and that Word go just kept coming up. Go, go, go. And so I did it more in the workplace, and I did it more at home, in our neighborhood, having people in our home, at our dinner table, talking to them about Jesus. Going to their home, talking to them about Jesus. In the workplace, talking to people about Jesus. And then I come home from these trips, and I feel like there's got to be more. There's more. And so this went on for five, six years. And I finally came to my wife, and I said, I believe the Lord's telling us to go, to go farther, to go to a different region, a different place. And so he gave us Guatemala, put it on our hearts. And we went as a family, and we prayed as we were going. And uh, I'll show you. Couple pictures here. Uh, this is in Antigua. We'll go on to the next one. We went as a family to El Salvador first, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. And this is a picture of them with the, the Salvadorian flag. Um, and so we'll go ahead and, and progress. Um, and this is our mission. This is again, we're going to be training disciples and making and reproducing ourselves. We don't want to be the ones there doing the work on our own. Um, just like here, it's not your pastor who does all the work. But it's the people in the body who catch the vision of the kingdom of God. So we want to, by biblical, reproducible methods, to be scattering gospel seeds. And HOP is we're going to be knocking on doors, the house of peace search. This is just what you find in the book of Acts, how the disciples and the apostles went out and took the gospel. We're going to train them. We're not just going to sit in the classroom and teach them what the word of God says. We're going to go and do it with them. We're going to model, assist, and watch, and lead them through the process of sharing the gospel and discipling others. And then we're going to discover and appoint leadership, which will eventually end up being a house church, a place where people can worship God and grow the body and go with the gospel. Um, these are teams that we've taken a couple times. Um, this one was in Nicaragua, and Christy actually went with me on that one. Um, and these are, you can see that any number, any age, doesn't matter. If you have good shoes and you can walk and you can talk, you can share the gospel in, in Central America and you can go on these trips. And so, uh, again, you see the wide range of ages and you go ahead and keep, keep on going through. Uh, get on a plane, you go to Central America and they'll meet you at the hotel and pick you up and take you out and you go to door to door and you share the gospel. And they will take you and, and to safe places, don't worry. Um, and I'm telling you all this for a reason because I don't want you to just help us get there. I want you to come along with us uh, in your prayers and physically. Um, and so and you'll meet people um, all over the place in these, in these regions. And they'll be selling rice and they'll be uh, selling different things. You might knock on their door and they'll be in there. And they'll come out and you talk to them. And you see, I have a translator there. I don't speak Spanish yet. We've been working on it for about a year. Uh, when we get there, it'll be more focused. Uh, here you see, we actually gather people around in the evenings. And we invite people to come out. And they have inflatable set up. And they have a guy who does a really good job of getting the crowd kind of hyped up and excited. Draws the crowd. And then we present the gospel. And as we're doing this, we're taking people in information. And we're inviting them back. Following up with them. So anywhere from 300 to 600 confessions of faith in Jesus Christ in a week. The homework, the hard work, is done in the follow-up. We want to see 
people and I have seen this happen, people actually coming back and becoming part of the church and serving and going out as translators to proclaim the gospel as well. So this is part of the process. And so we will invite you to come with us uh, through good news and action. We can get you signed up on those real simple. I'll be talking to your pastors about that. Um, but you can see we can get quite a crowd. Uh, people are very friendly. Uh, the gospel is well received. They are 90, if you look at the web, look at Wikipedia, it'll tell you it's 95, 96% Christian. What that means is Roman Catholic traditional uh, faith. That is not a personal relationship in Jesus Christ. And so when talking with generation, my generation, anywhere 50 younger, a lot of them are disconnected from Jesus Christ personally. And so our goal is to coach them into talking through what they have come to know about Jesus to show them in Scripture for themselves and let the Spirit of God move and work in them. And so that's what we're doing. And so uh, if you'll go ahead and, and progress on through um, a second, this is us teaching a little bit, Second uh, Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 tells us our identity in Christ Jesus. Tells us a few things. First, we'll notice there's a great exchange that takes place in that passage. That Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is what? A new creation, right? So if you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, that means the old things pass away. The old, all things have become new. That means everything about you, your desires in your heart, being removed and being replaced with God's desires. Now, the more you study the Word of God, the more you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will find that the more you do that, the more His desires you truly do become your desires. That doesn't mean you want a big boat, you need to get a big boat. What that means is his kingdom goal, his desire, is what then becomes your desire. And so John, uh, Jesus says it best in John chapter 7 when he talks to the Samaritan woman. And the disciples have seen him talk to the woman. She leaves and she goes and she tells all these people what happened to her, what happened to her in her account with Jesus. And Jesus tells the disciples, they're like, Jesus, you need to eat. He says, I've already eaten. I've, my food is to do the work of the Father who sent us. And I'll tell you what I've come to know to be true. Is that in all these trips and all this gospel sharing the Lord put in our heart as a family, is that we will not be satisfied by the things of this world any longer. What truly fills us up is the proclaiming of the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're going to do. And so what you see here, right before you, the new creation, ministry of reconciliation, that's what we all have in common. We have this ministry, we have a message, and we are ambassadors. And so if you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, that means that every one of us is mobilized for the kingdom of God, for his purpose, to proclaim his name. No longer our own, but each one of us ambassadors. And so as I'm studying the word of God, I'm looking into scripture and I go through the passage of the book of Joshua, and I'm reading that, and I see Joshua is there, and he's looking over the Jordan River, and he meets with the commander of the Lord's army. And the commander of the Lord's army tells him, go take the land. Go take the land. And so his family, what I believe the Lord is calling us to do, and as his people, as his ambassadors, all of us, go take the land. Let's go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because we are ministers with the message. The message of reconciliation that people, as you just sang, wholeheartedly, I hope, 
going and this sounds weird, we're going to go and be a part of the church and leave our church membership and Faith Baptist Church and Youngsville, North Carolina, and we're going to go and be there in this place and be a part of being the way to Guatemala. And when we go there, that's where we're going to take our membership. And we're going to train them, send them out, and be with them, modeling, assisting, watching, and leading them the gospel sharing and disciple making. And then we're going to go outside from there. And so with 8 million people, I don't think we're running out of work to do. We're not building any buildings, but we are building the kingdom of God. Uh, one gospel season. So I thank you for the opportunity to share with you what we're going to do and how you can participate with us. You can pray. Luke 10, 2. Um, ask the Lord to harvest, therefore, to send out more workers because the harvest is great. And so what we want to do is we want to ask you to, to go. Uh, this is in reverse order here. We need you to go. You can go with us. You can be a part of this as well. I got hooked on this by going myself. And this is how the Lord used me and encouraged me to share the gospel right where I am and meet with people from our church as well. And have gone and come back and they're ready to go and share the gospel. And you can give. Of course, we're going independently. We're not going to the IMB because... This is not a part of their model right now. Uh, so we're going to be a part of the good and actions we've already established relationships with and be the way to Guatemala. So I uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it, brother. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you'll and again, as is our tradition, we would uh, love for some of you to come up and lay hands on these folks and pray for them as we send them. When, when are you planning on going? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we're leaving July. The week of July 17th. July 17th, okay. All right. Anyone? They're a little slow, but they do come. <laughs> few of you as you feel led, and then I will, uh, I will uh, close out. Our gracious Lord, uh, we just thank you for people who are willing to give uh, themselves to further your kingdom, wherever it might be, whether it's here in North Carolina, Guatemala, or in Indonesia, where my children are. But God, we just thank you for uh, the Holy Spirit working through us. May we support these people with our prayers, our gifts, and with all our, um, uh, our understanding of how you would make them preach your gospel there.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for letting this friendship evolve. Come full circle between us and you and just allow us to lead these in this holy story, God, in a personal level, just to see this come full circle and who would ever think we'd be standing here with a little river standing in prayer, standing off. So grateful for my brother. And uh, I just ask that you give him the courage, the power, and the strength for your name, Lord. He would not be afraid. And they would learn the language fast. And they would be swift and accurate with their moves, Lord. And he would just bring the power. And they would bring the vessel, Lord God. I just thank you and I praise you for, for this opportunity for us to witness this, Lord. Just let's send them off. Father, I just thank you for this family, for the Salibi family, for Joseph and Christy and Hannah and Jordan and Layla. We just pray that you would go before them. If there's any obstacles in the way, Lord, just remove those. Make their path straight. If there's any anxiety at all, remove that anxiety. It doesn't come from you. pray for uh, the children particularly, that they will be good teachers to their parents because I know they'll learn the language much faster than the parents will. And I pray that the parents would be good students. We pray for lasting friendships in this uh, endeavor. I thank you that they are not just Baptists, but they are kingdom people that it's the kingdom they're about expanding. And it doesn't matter under what umbrella they go. Uh, it's all about expanding your kingdom, Lord. So as kingdom people, empower them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them to overflowing. Go before them and encourage them. Give them peace. Give them comfort. 
have love just flow out of every pore of their body as they interact with the Guatemalans, Lord. And we wait with anticipation to see what you're going to do in their lives in this ministry as they report back to us and to others. Things that only you can do and things that they can point to that they can say to the Guatemalans, hey, this wasn't us, this was, this was all God. Give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray real. I, I need it. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day, this opportunity to come and worship you corporately. I thank you for your word that's never changing, ever true. I thank you that uh, we have an opportunity to interact with, with, with people who you send out to mission fields around us uh, to do kingdom work. And that there's kingdom work we can do right here, right here at home in our own homes sometimes, across the street, uh, at the place where we work, wherever it might be. Your kingdom is without bounds. And thank you for allowing us to be a part of expanding that kingdom even more. Uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Um, we're going to do a little reading today. If I were to say to you, Juan that Abriel with its shoulder so to the root of March at Persid to the root and bobbed every vein and switch liqueur, of which Vertu engendered is the floor, one Zephyr is eke with his sweet breath, and spirit hath in every holden heath the tender croppies, and the young Asana hath in the ram is half a course of rana, and small of fowls make a melodia that slept in the neat with openia, so pricketh in notcher and here courageous than long and folk to goon on pilgrimages. You might recognize that as what? Prologue to Canterbury Tales. Je uh, Jeffrey Chaucer's story about pilgrims going to the Holy Land. That was his prologue. It was, it, was his, it was setting the stage for the individual stories that would come. A story about the miller, a story about the lady from Bath, a story about this person and that person and that person. But that was the prologue to the whole story. Prologue is a literary device that's placed at the beginning of a writing to bring readers up to date with past events that are pertinent to whatever the story is at hand. Uh, it's not an old-time thing. I mean, I, I, the reason I brought these novels from some of my favorite authors, uh, Robert Ludlum, uh, born, Jason Bourne, you know Jason Bourne? I have 11 of his, his uh, novels. And each one of them starts with a prologue. And each one of them ends with an epilogue. Uh, Harlan Coben, uh, his character is Myron Bolotar. And uh, every one of his stories begins with a prologue. This is what happened before the story begins. And then at the end, it tells you a little bit about what happened months or years after the story's concluded. 
Uh, Joel Rosenberg, another one of my favorite authors. Uh, he, his character is J.B. Collins, and, and he has the same thing in each one of his novels, a prologue, an epilogue. And then we have a story in the Bible by a fellow named John. And John has in his book a prologue and an epilogue. The prologue we find in chapter 1 of John, beginning at verse 1. In this church, by the way, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard that we have for our faith and for our life. So listen as I read to you from God's Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then I love the message uh, translation of verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw with our own eyes the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the ending of John's book in chapter 20. Verse 30 says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And then the, the key verse I, I told you that I think in, in, in John's Gospel is this. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then there's the epilogue. Chapter 21 looks like it's added on to the ending of the story. Yet it's really important, it tells us some things that happened after the end of John's official gospel. Verses 24 through 25 say, This is the disciple, talking about John, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That's how the final ending of John's Gospel comes out on the page. There are many other things that Jesus did. I think like any other writer, if you've ever written anything, you've done the same thing. Like any other writer, John has selected and arranged those things that he feels uh, are pertinent to make his account complete. You go through the book of John and, and you, can, you can read them. We, that's one of the books that we encourage people when they first come to the Lord to read, the book of John. Because it's a wonderful account of the life of the ministry, particularly of Jesus. But this time, instead of telling us why he has written the things that he has written, he tells us what would have happened if he had tried to write down all the other things, too. The world wouldn't be able to contain all the books that would be written. Now, obviously today... There's larger libraries than any first century author would have ever 
thought possible. There's much larger uh, electronic storing systems. They couldn't even conceive of that at the time. But that's not the point that John's making here. Don't, don't miss his point in, in the words. It might be technically true that every single deed that Jesus ever did could be written down and that the books, though maybe too many to count, just numerous books would ultimately be finite in number. There would be an end to them. You, you would eventually run out of books. Nevertheless, John's point is the world wouldn't be able to contain them. He didn't say the libraries. He said the world wouldn't be able to contain them. Why? Because they would be too explosive. They would be too impactful. They would be too volatile. They would be too emotional. They would be uncontainable to even try to press into the covers of books. It would be like trying to play a wonderful symphony on an old, broken piano. It would be like trying to serve a five-course gourmet meal out of a food wagon. It would be like light shining into darkness and the darkness not being able to master it. The world simply couldn't take all of that. So here's John's point as simple and as non-intellectual as I can make it. The epilogue for the book of John. Once the word became flesh, all the books in the world can't do it justice. All the books. Nothing less than flesh can do justice to the meaning of the word. Your flesh and my flesh. Books, in whatever language they might be written, can reach out only a small way into the world. But our lives, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can reach the entire world, even Guatemala. Jesus' disciples, his followers, are sent into the world. Not just the first century world, but in every generation after that. His disciples, his followers, are sent into the world. John 3.16, of course, says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And the world remains today the object of God's love. The world is the reason that Jesus died. The world is the reason that the resurrection took place. So, what now? What now as we bring this series to a close? Jesus was sent by his Father, and now he sends us, you and me, and whatever part we're called to play, and whatever area we're called to go to, we go to it with 
His word ringing in our ears. You can't help but hear it. You'll have trouble in this world. But cheer up. I've defeated the the world. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. That's John's epilogue.